I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharmaram podcast for December 7th, 2012, and today we are talking about the tension between tradition and change. So uh, we are going to be talking today about this issue of uh, tradition versus change in Buddhism, and we are, are inspired by a listener question. Uh, the question uh, the question is actually asking us to revisit the topic of the Seven Pure Land Masters, which um, we, we may do, who knows? <laughs> Who can, who can see all ends? Um, but the question is, um, I thought it would be good to hear you guys talk about how Shinran creatively reread or reinterpreted the Pure Land tradition and how that might offer strategies for Shin Buddhists today to reimagine Pure Land religiosity to address contemporary challenges. Yeah, it's a great question. It sure is. Yeah. Um, and it's, Shinran's a very interesting figure I think uh, in religious history, not um, well. Everyone's unique, but um, you know the things that he did, and obviously he's working within a certain uh, historical context, uh, which includes a lot of doctrinal innovation. I mean, Kamakura period. Uh, there's a lot of um, that's when Dogen, Honen, Shinran, Nichiren. Uh, we get a lot of uh, figures, uh, kind of famous in uh, Japanese religion, uh, Japanese Buddhism, that are uh, interpreting the tradition, right? and um, maybe not as uh, not the central religious movements of the time necessarily, even though that's how they've been portrayed later. Uh, but I think we can see a lot of um, doctrinal and uh, practice kind of uh, innovation. Uh, building on the tradition, uh, but changing things a lot as well. Yeah, so so let's actually pause for a moment, because it seems, it occurs to me all of a sudden that maybe we should um, uh, explain some of what Shinran did that might be considered innovative. I have some things in mind, but um, I wonder if uh, you might have things in mind too. <laughs> well, he got uh, married. Yes, yes. That's a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of Shinran, what Shinran does is in the context of Honen, uh, and Honen's Pure Land movement, uh, you know, for Honen, certainly uh, creating a uh, Pure Land school, like it's you know, there's different aspects to this that we're not going to get into, but it seems like he really is making a Pure Land school, mm -hmm. like separate from other. You don't. It's not a Tendai school. It's not a branch of Tendai. It's no. This is all you need. Pure Land. That's it. We don't have to do anything else. Uh, just reciting the Nembutsu. Right? And uh, Shinran is uh, coming out of that. And uh, Shinran is not the only one. And so the Jodo Shu, the, the Pure Land movement that, uh, or institution that Honen sets up, has a lot of diversity within it. And so a lot of the issues, um, the, the kind of innovations, are um, you can see them getting worked out at this time, uh, partly in the tension between the different groups. 
right? And so there's some that focus, there's the issue of um, one's calling versus many calling, as Collected Works of Shinran um, phrases it. And, you know, is one nembutsu sufficient? Or should we say nembutsu as many times as possible? Is it the, the, the multiplying the power of the nembutsu, um, self-power versus other power? You know, is it, is it the, the, is the intention and the, the um, practice of the practitioner important? Or is it coming completely from Amida or somewhere in between? Uh, so there's all, and you know, monastic and lay, I think is in there. Um, the uh, Japanese uh, Buddhist monastic institutions are, are in a lot of turmoil at this time. The society is in a lot of turmoil. Uh, and so Shinran's kind of coming out of that. And he's not alone, he points to other um, people in uh, Honen's movement and, you know, copies texts by them, like, mm-hmm. uh, recommending them to other people. Uh, and eventually, he, he, it seems like Shinran didn't set out to create his own, a new institution. Mm-hmm. He just saw himself as part of, of Honen's movement. Right? And it wasn't until later that we get a separate institution. Uh, but Shinran certainly has... Uh, his, his own doctrine and his own understanding of, of Honen's teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it being that you don't have to be a monk, right? That it's not, um, monks aren't better than other people. There's kind of a radical equality uh, also. And, you know, this is, I think we can find in Honen too, also with the social classes. So that Shinran um, specifically talks about um, fishermen and hunters uh, who would normally be really low levels of society, even maybe non-people, Right, like uh, not human, like mm-hmm. subhuman, uh, because of that their jobs uh, involve taking life, uh, and so he's uh, part of what he's doing is speaking to uh, oppressed peoples and saying, "You're, you, you know, you don't, you're not worse than the monk up on the mountain or mm-hmm. something." That Amida Buddha uh, grasps all of us; that we don't have to. Um, it's not reserved for certain people, that it's uh, open to anyone. So I think that's a pretty radical part of his message. He's not the only one saying it, but uh, mm-hmm. I think I, I see that as kind of a, uh, I would say as an innovation, um, part of this bigger movement, because Honan is viewed as doing the same thing. Yeah. Speaking to warriors, aristocrats, prostitutes, farmers, anybody, right? That, that um, certain people aren't excluded um, because of their social status or, mm-hmm. or, or, or also um, age, gender, Right, those come in as well, that there seems to be this kind of radical uh, equality uh, being preached by them. So how much of a departure, though, do you think this is from pre-Honen, Pure Land thought? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I think, part of this question. Mm-hmm. seems to be implying that there's some divergence, some, not divergence, but some, you know, a, a, reinterpreta- a reinterpretation of previous uh, pure land masters or previous pure land thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ha- you know, I guess that's that's part of the question, and I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure. I mean, uh, you know, I'm on the fence on that one. <laughs> well, you know, and pure land is a very diverse movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so I think the seeds are there. Yeah. Uh, the evil person, right? And uh, that, that we can find that wording in um, uh Contemplation Sutra, mm-hmm. right? And the idea that somebody who has not done any good their entire life, if they encounter a good teacher on their deathbed, uh, that they can still be born in the pure land, right? The lowest grade of the lowest rank or lowest rank of the lowest grade, like the lowest of the low. Yeah. Even that person reciting the name of Amida Buddha is sufficient. So that's a se- one of the seeds in the, in the tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Shinran seems to be implying that 
you don't even have to do that. Right, right, right. And so it's kind of a practice. <laughs> question, but then again, that goes to the question of what, who's doing the practice and, and right. what is practice. And, and so that's an innovation yeah, on the yeah. practice side, I think. Um, practice and intention side. Mm-hmm. Um, so is one of the interesting things is the issue of one's calling and many calling. Some people are saying you, you should only say it once or only one nembutsu with the right intention is necessary. Then you don't have to say it again. Uh, it's an extreme side mm-hmm. of the one's calling. Many calling is you should say it as many, many times as possible. And Honen seems to, is reported as saying it, what, tens of thousands of times a day by the end of his life. And Shinran, in, in um, that his work, notes on one's calling and many calling, says at the beginning of the one's calling section, one's calling should not be considered false. And then at the beginning of many calling, he says, many calling should not be considered false. <laughs> so kind of a very Buddhist answer to it. Um, and one way we can read it out is, uh, the Nembutsu said with true entrusting, true Shinjin, is the important thing. But that doesn't mean we stop saying it, yeah. and then we continue to say it. You can say it as many times uh, as you want, as you're inspired to. Right, it almost seems like it doesn't matter how many times you say it. Right. And, you know, that's actually built into the tradition, too. That's one yeah. of the questions. How many times do you have to say nembutsu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is but one I mean, time it, enough? Is but ten it, times uh, enough? I, mean, I feel like Shinran's response of saying one time is, is, is right and many times is right is a sort of is a way of saying, well, you're missing the point. Like, don't worry mm-hmm. about the number of times. That's not the, that's not the, the, the essential meaning here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Another one is also the uh, issue of deathbed practices. Mm. And like the contemplation sutra, it's on the guy's deathbed, the person's deathbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, and a lot of Japanese Buddhism uh, seems to be uh, very concerned with deathbed practices and the state of mind at the time of death, at that, that last moment. And you can really blow it if you don't have the proper state of mind. What if you're unconscious? What if you're sick? These are really important questions for people at this time, if they have the time and the, the ability to think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, Shinran's interesting in that he takes the settlement of birth in the pure land away from the moment of death and brings it into life. Right. And it, it's something that's decided in your life and that you enter the stage of the truly settled and the non-retrogression during your life so that you don't have to worry about that issue anymore uh, rather than have it be that, that last moment of death. Uh, so that's another thing where he kind of takes it away from the death, um, time of death kind of practice to um, just during everyday life. Yeah. Okay, so Shinran, big thinker, innovative, inspirational, or something. <laughs> um, so the, the question, though, I think um, has to do with, I don't know, it seems like the question has to do with whether or not that's okay. I mean, the, our question didn't ask this, but that's something that always comes up to me, this sort of tension between should we follow the teachings, you know, as closely to the founder as we possibly can, or should we have some leeway for reinterpreting them in order for them to make sense in the modern world? And I think that, that that's the tension implicit in this episode's title between tradition and change, this idea that there's some tradition that we need to sort of hold on to and not let that change over time, but also the, the simple reality is, is that religious institutions and beliefs and practices do change over time, and we see that all the time, and plenty of examples of that. So somewhere in between, of course, is the smart thing, but, um, but how much change, how much tradition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think one reality is it always changes. Right? And, um, and so one mo- movement seems to be, though, have we gone too far? Right. right? And do we need to go back to the founder? 
right? We need to return to the founder's vision because it's become too syncretic. Mm-hmm. It's become too mixed in with other stuff that, that got mixed in over the centuries, right? Um, and that's that's an issue that comes up within the tradition, I think, um, and that uh, is possibly one here, you know, in the United States, I think is a question that gets asked a lot. Um, we do, you know, Buddhist Churches of America is kind of the, an official, well, it's kind of the official overseas mission of the Nishi Honganji, mm-hmm. right, for the United States, for mainland United States. Uh, and so um, you don't have to be BCA to be Jodo Shinshu. There's, you know, people, I think Jodo Shinshu is um, growing in, in um, awareness and or people are becoming more and more aware of it and popularity. Um, but uh, can you kind of do your own thing? You know, can we innovate and come up with a new, you know, new version? And it's, it's happened before. It's happened in Japan. There's, yeah. there's movements of, of trying to move away from the institution, the, the um, stultifying institution. <laughs> I can't think of a good word. Um, you know, stagnant. Stagnant, right? <laughs> um, and, and it's not meeting the needs of people. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But can we look to Shinran for that, I think, is, is part of the question. It's kind of interesting. Right. Well, I mean, that, that's interesting to me on, a, on a, many different levels. Uh, I, I mean, you know, you keep saying, that, you know, do we go back to the, the vision of the founder? And, you know, my thought is always, well, which founder? I mean, you know, in, in terms of Nishi Kanji PCA, that's, the founder is Shinran. Um, but do we mean the founder of Buddhism, right? Do we go all the way back to the Buddha himself? Um, or which, do we, which Buddha? <laughs> if we're going to be a Mahayana about Mahayanist about it, um, which Buddha is the founder? Is there a founder? Um, I think are, are sort of big questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at this this question again from our listener, it seems though that the the idea seems to. I, I think that he's, he's he's accepting that things do change and we do have mm-hmm. to reinterpret um, in order to to meet the needs of contemporary people. Um, and it's interesting, sort of ironic, because it's like, well, we're going to look to Shinran for inspiration, but at the same time, the institution seems to be looking to Shinran in order to maintain tradition. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Because, okay, so the, an orthodox view, I think, would be Jodo Shinshu is a progression from Amida Buddha, right, and then Shakyamuni Buddha, Seven masters in a very simplified form. Seven masters, and then Shinran. Right. End of story. And Shinran's the the ultimate. Yes. Shinran is the pinnacle. Yeah. And then we have Renyo, right? The eighth descendant of Shinran. Um, but Sh- Renyo's not. Renyo's not in- innovating. He's not coming up with something <laughs> new. He's correctly interpreting Shinran. Right. And that uh, have we had another person like Renyo since then? I think generally within Nishihonganji, it would seem like not. N- mm-hmm. No, you know that we haven't had like a third reformer or, 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 or a second reformer. Right? Renyo is kind of viewed as the reformer who brings it together and makes it into the big institution and clarifies Shinran's message. I know Renyo, Renyo seems to be like he should be not the reformer. That seems like he's reforming something. It seems to me like the, the reform is just about the institution, right? It's just he's clarifying what Shinran said mm-hmm. in order to build a stronger institution, but he's not necessarily, in his mind anyway, not necessarily rethinking the tradition or reinterpreting it. Right, 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 right. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's always been my sort of understanding. Because mm-hmm. reformer to me sounds like somebody who's, who's reforming thought or changing the you know changing something um, and it seems like what Renio is doing is just changing the institution but couldn't it be like reforming it back to the original vision of the founder <laughs> you know what I mean like the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. reformation yes, like we're, yes, we're, yes. we're getting 
I just wanted to, right, right, right. when you're saying that, you know, Shinra is the pinnacle of this mm -hmm. sort of uh, history of, of, of Pure Land in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're not supposed to deviate from Shinran's teachings. From the orthodox point right, of view. In, the, in this kind yeah. of orthodox. So, there, so that we don't look to Shinran for his innovation. Yeah. You know, his, his spirit of innovation is not what we're looking for. We're looking to him for his presentation of the highest development of the teaching. Right? And it may have been innovative, but we're, we're not encouraging <laughs> others to innovate as well. Right? We're, we're saying that's the end, basically. Yeah. But we should innovate. Yeah, well... Ah. <laughs> I'm going to take that view. <laughs> another way to look at it, though, is that Renyo did innovate. Mm -hmm. Renyo's interpretation isn't this crystal clarification of Shinran's. It's, it's a certain interpretation of Shinran's teaching. Right. right? And, um, and I think within the Honganji, there's a recognition that, yeah, there is interpretation going on all the time, and the, but that they do have this idea of kangaku, of these um, this scholarly... Um, elite that are the ones that determine orthodoxy and heterodoxy or heresy, right? And that certain ideas can be um, taken up by that council and rejected as heretical and um, put down and, you know, and that that still happens. I haven't heard of it happening recently, but um, no, I've heard of, you know, possibilities of it happening that, you know, there's different interpretations out there. Uh, and so there is a recognition that, yeah, there is interpretation, but you can go too far. Mm -hmm. Right, which is kind of interesting to have this, this council, right, of the, the um, kangaku, these top scholars. Well, it's, it's a religion. Yeah. They got to figure that out, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's what religions do. They clarify and define and right. figure out what the tradition is and what it says and what is too far. What, at what point does an uh, innovation or an interpretation uh, go so far from the original person's idea that it becomes something new? Right. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's a really big question. Yeah, and I think it's it sounds to me like one way to think of um, the question that um, we were sent is, um, can we look to Shinran for that you know spirit of innovation? Mm -hmm. Can we hold up Shinran as in his the way that he innovated? Can we also innovate? Right. So I mean, I wonder, you know. In one sense, I think we could say, well, yeah, Shinran was coming out of a specific historical context. It's totally different now. Yeah. Right? And that we need to change the message. We need to, to um, look for other things. You know? um, but I think another viewpoint could be, no, you know, Shinran was looking at this existential questions of existence, right, of samsara. <laughs> uh, and that, in a way, those haven't changed. I think could be another way to look at it. That yeah, the the, the trappings have changed, but that uh, as living beings, we still have a lot of the same issues that Shinran saw. We still have a lot of the same issues that Shakyamuni Buddha saw, uh, and you know that that uh, in a way maybe um, things haven't changed as much as maybe we think. Uh, and so in that sense, maybe we could kind of look to Shinran for uh, these kind of universal ideas that we don't have to innovate. Right? We do maybe need to innovate on the surface, in the trappings, uh, but, but that uh, what he was saying is kind of universal in a way, I think would be one approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. But then again... I'm know, being a criterion today, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, another way to think about it, though, uh, just now, I was, I was wondering if we could 
think about it, maybe th- maybe this is the trappings you're talking about, and maybe this is a, a, a debate worth having, whether or not the trappings are, are essential or not. Um, but I wonder if another way to think about it would be not just in terms of particular doctrines or beliefs or, or philosophies or, or whatever that Shinran may have had about Shinran, about Shin, uh, Pure Land teachings, um, but also in terms of practice, um, mm-hmm. you know, and not just practice in the limited sense of, um, you know, how many times you say the Nembutsu or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever else, but also in terms of, you know, a religious organization. I mean, uh, it's, it's arguable that one of Shinran's innovations was the, the community that he created around him, which was not monastic, right? It was a non-monastic community, which was uh, somewhat new and different at the time in Japan. Um, so, you know, maybe that's another way to think about it. Maybe, the, you know, the particular contours of a community is, is more trappings and not the essential teaching, but, I, you know, I think that's arguable and just as important. You know, the kind of communities that we have, I think, is, is important to think about and not just assume that they're going to, you know, magically appear mm-hmm. um, so you know maybe that's another way to think about this question of innovation and interpreting the tradition mm-hmm. you know you know Shinran certainly did that you know he was like well you know the monastic community is not working for me so I'm going to leave that mm-hmm. and, and reinterpret whether or not it's possible for me to continue on the Pure Land path um, in this quasi neither muck nor lay place getting married having children or whatever else um, you know is it still possible for me to be a Buddhist or to be on the Pure Land path, to be a disciple of Honen, you know, in a way that hasn't been done before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and this goes back in a way maybe to um, we've talked before about like um, the critical side of Buddhism, right? The side of Buddhism that um, says that values critique. Right? and values um, looking at things carefully and not taking anything for granted and being willing to question, right? being willing to ask questions. Uh, and I think that uh, I feel like we can kind of feel that spirit in Shinran, mm-hmm. uh, we can, and we can take that with us. Right? And so uh, one of the things I like from the early tradition, it's not Shinran, it's after Shinran, but the idea of the dojo, well, maybe yeah. I guess probably during this time too. And when he talks about people as um, ondobo, ondogyo, these fellow travelers, Right? These, we're, we're, we're walking this path together. We don't have to worry about here's the priest and here's the head of the temple and here's, you know, that the hierarchy is not so important, that we're all in this together and the dojo is a place to, for people to gather and talk and discuss and ask questions and uh, it doesn't need to be top down with the, the minister giving the message and everyone just sit and passively listen. That's still our model in a lot of ways, and I think it works on some levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also um, think that the idea of more discussion and uh, of this more um, equal group uh, is, is a good idea uh, to, to, as an alternative. Right? And, and I've tried to, I'm trying to introduce it into my temple. It's hard sometimes because, well, just the, the setup of the hondo doesn't work that way because <laughs> everyone's facing towards the naijin and the minister's up at the podium. Right, so it's set up with the top-down. I'm speaking, you're listening, right? But then um, having other opportunities for uh, having people more in a circle and, and just talking with each other and sharing their experiences, and uh, that even the minute I'm thinking I'm going to set up. I've been doing a uh, once a month Wednesday night service, 
to try and have an alternative to the Sunday service. But I still wear the robes. I still sit in the Nigene, do the service. But And I want to do another one maybe on a Saturday afternoon, the last Saturday or something. And we're going to try to start that. And I'm just thinking maybe I would just have like jeans and casual clothing mm-hmm. and we'd maybe not even do a service and have it be more that kind of discussion and not set up the hierarchy. Here's the minister, right? The expert, uh, the the person that would address the questions too, and they'll give you the answers kind of thing and have it be more um, equal level. So that's um, kind of a... Um, You're an innovator. Yeah, I'm going to try to do some <laughs> innovation. Yeah. But is it too far? Yeah, am I going too far? <laughs> well, it's kind of a good question. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, thinking yeah. certain people might come and not be happy to see me in jeans and a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, you're the minister. You're supposed to be dressed a certain way. You're supposed to be representing us in a certain way. You are a representative, right? But maybe sometimes I can step out of that and reveal a different side of myself. Still as a Shin practitioner, I, I, I don't, when I take off my robes, I'm not taking off my identity as a Shin Buddhist, mm-hmm. that my identity as a Shin Buddhist happens at various parts of my life, right? And that, um, so it is, it is kind of um, doing something a little bit different. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, ultimately I think I agree. I like where the questioner is coming from. Uh, and I've even started moving away from um, signing as Reverend Harry <laughs> on like emails and stuff. Um, and just, you know, it, it started this semester in my class. And just, you know, whenever I have class here at Institute of Buddhist Studies and I email people and thinking, um, when I write to people, how do I sign my name? Am I Reverend Harry? Reverend Harry Bridge? Is that, you know, or can I just be Harry? Mm-hmm. Um, should I be Professor Bridge or what? You know, I don't know. Um, and this time I've kind of eased off on, I just sign my emails Harry. And sometimes it's interesting. People say Reverend Bridge or Reverend Harry when they address me in the email back. Uh, but then I've found myself sometimes another areas, um, not so much at the temple, but I'm still being the minister, but I just sign off as Harry, mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, playing with that, I guess, playing with that um, identity and, um, you know, what it entails of authority and everything. And that, that part, that's part of the question, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Who can say what is too far? Well, I think I can. <laughs> not really. Nobody <laughs> listen. No one ever listens to me, though. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. Who who does get to say? And you know, when I wear the robes, does that give that gives me some authority to um, say whatever I want or to say certain things as long mm-hmm. as it's in line? But all the, if you look at the ministers in the BCA, they have such a range of understandings and interpretations, and um, you know that I think we could find a whole range of stuff. Yeah, it's well, that's a, I mean, that's an interesting question though because I think that you know the the. The historian of religion in me is going to come out a little bit and uh, just you know note that you know part of the authority that you have is is given to you by this institution, you know, and and that's true of all the BCA ministers, whether they you know have you know, a whole lot of experience or a whole lot of education or or not, you know, regardless of what their particular personal interpretations are, you know, institutionally they've been granted the authority to be a representative of Nishi Honganji in the United States of America. You know, that has some weight to it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they fall in, in, fall in line, quote unquote, with the orthodox teachings or not is sort of not irrelevant, but it's, it's a different, different kind of question mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, institutionally, who gets to say what goes too far? Well, they do. <laughs> They've been given that authority, you know, uh, to, uh, to a certain extent, not, you know, whole cloth, obviously, but, um, you know, there's a certain uh, reality about institutions and how institutions work and, and the kinds of authority that we get as a result of being part of those institutions and, and so on. Um, so, you know, to who, who gets to decide what goes too far? Well, I think, I think Harry Bridge gets to decide, <laughs> in part. <laughs> I would hope ultimately. Or at the very least, I think it's, we're part of a conversation right. where and we can say, look, our tradition is defined in these ways by these teachers, by these teachings. We can discuss whether or not this particular interpretation or practice pushes those boundaries or is you know, right in the middle of them. Or you know, At the very least, I think that, we're, that, 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 that you are somewhat authorized to be a voice in that conversation. And I would hope that as a voice in that it's kind of interesting to go back to the founder as a voice in that conversation. I personally would try and look to Shinran's writings mm -hmm. and wouldn't just be making my making stuff up. I mean, I could speak from my own experience, but it also has to be based in my understanding of Shinran's yeah. teachings and life. Uh, and but in a way, that's what anyone can do if you have access to the texts and if you um, you know that you can basically do whatever you want. <laughs> but. Um, I would hope that it includes learning, study, right? Um, trying to put this stuff, live it, um, but without ever saying, now I get it. Yes, now I'm going to go out with my understanding of this, yeah. right? That, that we're always willing, that critique, but it's critique of oneself and critique of one's own understanding uh, and be willing to critique that and not fall into the trap of thinking that I know now the way things are. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of, the, that's kind of the, the problem, I think. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting take on it anyway, this idea of... of Anybody can say whatever they want about, you know, the tradition. Um, you know, I think we do that all the time, right? Where we say, well, this is the essential meaning of Buddhism, or this is the essential teaching of the Buddha. And uh, you know, how how do we know who to trust, right? And that's yeah. really the question: How do we determine who's a trustworthy teacher? Um, trust you know, in Amida Buddha. 